As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbeck. I am joined today by the athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. Chris, hello. Nicole, it's good to be here. We are five weeks into the season with five head coaches fired. Yeah, we, we still have our jobs, so that yes. seems noteworthy um, in, in the season that it is. Uh, clearly, clearly a trend. We'll get into this in some of the jobs in, in Colorado and Wisconsin that just opened. Um, but certainly a trend. I mean, this is something, these are not even really mid-season firings. These are early season firings. Um, so absolutely something that is now par for the course in college football. Uh, before we get into that, just a reminder that the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed is back in action. As we are here in week six, you'll find Max Olson, Sam Kahn, more of our pals on this very feed throughout the week. I'll be joining Andy and Ari on the Friday preview show, uh, which very much goes off the rails. Uh, I'm I'm extremely excited to hear about all their exploits in SEC country this week and the copious amounts of fried food that they are consuming. I also need to see if Ari's gonna hold me to uh, having to eat cottage cheese, Chris. I I don't know if you are aware of this, but I'm gonna text you thing. It's basically Washington did not come through for me. UCLA came through for Ari. And I'm supposed to have to eat cottage cheese, which I despise and have a real, real big texture issue with. Uh, but before we get to those shenanigans, I'm excited to bring you today's episode of Power Hour. We'll break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. And if you're thirsty while doing so, well, grab a drink. Uh, let's start with the Power Five. In true Power Hour fashion, we give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college sports before the buzzer sounds. And it's time to move on to the next. Chris, you go first. Number one, Paul Christ fired at Wisconsin on Sunday, one day after losing to former Wisconsin head coach Brett Bielema and Illinois. We'll go deeper into this later in the pod. But, look, I write a lot about jobs that open, job profiles, candidates, and stuff like that. A lot of it is prepared in advance because you kind of know when certain things are coming. This one I didn't see coming on this day. Like, there was talk about, you know, could they make a change at some point? Nobody saw this coming on Sunday, and that was an unexpected firing. 
a, a true stunner. Um, I think like working backwards from it, knowing that they did it, you can say, okay, well, I, this is why. But truly a, a shocker on Sunday. The one that was not shocking, number two, Carl Durrell fired a Colorado earlier in the day on Sunday after an 0-5 start. Feels like forever ago, but all the way back in December 2020, he was named the Pac-12 Coach of the Year during the pandemic season with a 4-2 record. Uh, things unraveled very, very quickly. They lost a lot of key transfers in the portal, confusing staffing decisions. Colorado also fired defensive coordinator Chris Wilson. Um, that one was not surprising. The writing had been on the wall. Uh, Carl Durrell and, and this Colorado team were not just bad over the first five weeks of the season. They were getting blown out by everybody they played in the Power Five level bad. This was not a shocker. They are probably going 0-12, which is kind of wild to talk about with a Power Five team in this day and age for a a team that, like you said, two years prior went 4-2. and two. The 2020 season, like, there's so much about it that so much. is hazy, that feels like it was forever ago. But remembering that Colorado actually started, I think, 4-1 and one maybe, and Jarek Broussard was Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, doesn't seem real looking back. Jarek Broussard, by the way, now at Michigan State, kind of a sign of where things have gone at Colorado. Number three, Bryce Young remains day-to-day per Nick Saban dealing with an AC joint issue after he fell on his shoulder against uh, Arkansas. Nick Saban obviously not going to say much about what exactly, if he's going to play and whatnot. He kind of went off on a reporter just because he kind of wanted to at his press conference this week, as Saban is wont to do. Uh, He was asked if there's a special package for uh, Jalen Milrow, the backup quarterback, who had a very good rushing day in the win against Arkansas, and Saban said, we already have one, (laughs) which makes sense. But uh, uh, Saban did not mind really, didn't really want to talk about that kind of stuff. So we will wait and see. He's had a couple of uh, epic rants this season, which uh, first you're like, all right, he thinks he has a good team. He's trying to light something under them. Uh, But this one, I mean, you know, your Heisman Trophy winning quarterback is injured. It's something you can attempt to play through, but it's your throwing shoulder. I mean, it's going to be a thing. It's going to be something people ask about. So he's going to probably have some more rants because he's probably going to get some more questions about that exact topic the rest of the way. Number four, this is more of a bit of news that's on the horizon. We are still waiting for final recommendations from the NCAA's Division I Transformation Committee. I think that we may get a couple, some areas um, by the end of October. It's possible. I would think that that might be around Division I membership minimum standards slash expectations. We've we've talked a lot or alluded to, um, you know, I think people think that there will be like a certain baseline level of support for athletes that will be part of this. Um, Not sure exactly what that will look like. We're still also waiting for them to have recommendations around governance models. That's really the kind of the question of like who governs football, how do things fit in? And then also questions about NCAA championships and access and philosophically how they approach that. When you think about automatic qualifiers at large spots, who should be competing for national championships? So transformation committee is going to be running through December. So might be a little while until we get some of the recommendations around that. But the division one council is meeting this week. Uh, they were getting updates. There's just some stuff 
potentially on the horizon to keep an eye on. Greg Sankey has made it clear that he'd like more baseball tournament bids for the SEC because they are so good in that. It doesn't appear anything's going to happen with the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Kind of, there's been some pushback on that, but we'll see. And yes, for the transformation committee, much was promised. Not much has been delivered yet. In their defense, they did not name themselves <laughs> the transformation committee. The NCAA, Mark Emmert, did that. That was a big Big word to put on a committee yes. like this. Yes, and I've heard that they don't love it, but that's they, they the way. <laughs> that's the way that everything goes in college sports these days. Number five, and most importantly, uh, Mike Leach uh, gave some wedding advice to the SEC Network's Alyssa Lang. I think it was after their win against Texas A&M. Um, uh, she's getting married sooner or something like that, and he says, "As soon as the season is over, or even in an off week, go elope." That's the key point. Trust me on that. Go elope because basically every female in the family is going to terrorize you until it's over. Once it's over, I mean, they'll be upset for a few days, but it'll be over and you'll cruise along and have a happy marriage, happy life. So skip the wedding. I don't know. Not the best advice, I, I think, especially I think this, to. I think it's this is fair advice. I think he said he said similar things about this before. And I get what he's saying here. Save the money, save the hassle, everyone will get over it in a few days. I've had friends who did this during COVID who, you know, and then well, yeah. we're going to have a bigger wedding, never did. Even I actually, I, I met some people at a different wedding this past weekend who had just gone to the courthouse on like a Monday, signed some paperwork, and they were like, yeah, we'll have a party next year, maybe. We'll see. So I, I'd, I think yeah, it's I'd not bad advice. Too. Not bad advice by Mike Leach here. It, it also depends on who's paying for the wedding or, or would-be wedding. If, if if parents are paying for it or something like that and you can afford it, you know, go wild. So we'll see. Best of luck to Alyssa and her husband and her future husband. Yes. And again, it is one of the better things is when you get Mike Leach talking about Halloween candy or weddings or, or anything that is not related to uh, football directly. Okay. It is time for a happy hour segment. We like to talk about something we're excited about. And there is no shortage of things to be happy about this week we will start with our kansas jayhawks america's team i mean listen yes. I, i'm sure i'm sure that there are people who are not happy that kansas football is 5-0 and and kind of the darlings of america and i am sure that they are mizzou fans right and i, I listen i get it there's also people who are like listen they're good at basketball do they really need to be good at football too but listen they are america's team we love them they're very fun to watch. Jalen Daniels is fun. This past weekend, a little bit of an aberration, but they got out, you know, they beat Iowa State. They got, they got out with the win. In general, though, fun team to watch. And not only are they ranked, they also are hosting College Game Day for the first time ever. That is something to be happy about. Yes, and they were, they've were they never hosted it before. The, the only school, the only Power 5 schools left who have not hosted are Cal, Duke, Illinois, Maryland, Rutgers, Syracuse, and Virginia. Okay, so of that list, a couple of those teams are having pretty good seasons. Like, I'm Illinois. not going to write off the opportunity to knock off another one. App State was also a first year, or a first hosting as well. So game day so far through six weeks has already gone to two new places, which is pretty cool. That is awesome. And, and by the way, keep this in mind. 
Kansas is hosting college game day the same weekend that Alabama hosts Texas A&M in the game that everybody thought in the summer was going to be the biggest drama-filled game of the year. And it's the same day of the Red River rivalry here in Dallas, which I'll be going to on Saturday. Texas-Oklahoma, by the way, the only Big 12 game this weekend not involving a ranked team. Texas versus Oklahoma, the least important Big 12 game of the weekend. How about this that? is definitely how we all drew it up uh, two months ago. Definitely exactly how we thought the season was going to go. But Kansas has been a bright spot. I was talking to you about this before we went on the air here. And Chris, I, I just feel like there has been, I don't know if it's like a collective or concerted effort, but I do think you and I in particular, but a lot of our colleagues, we've I think done a really good job of celebrating things that are not playoff related, celebrating teams and programs that are taking steps that are succeeding and doing things that have no impact on the college football playoff race. Although I will say, listen, Kansas undefeated. If they win the big 12 and stand defeated, they'll be in the playoff. Just have to get that in while we can still can. Also real quick, we got to shout out the team. They are playing TCU four and oh, just beat Oklahoma 55 to 24 over the weekend. Max Duggan, has been extremely good since coming off the bench in week one. And TCU could win the Big 12 here. TCU could be the top-ranked team in the Big 12 here pretty soon. Get on the heels of, of Oklahoma State or whatever. Sonny Dykes this first season is doing a very good job. And it's important to remember, the cupboard was not bare. As poorly as TCU had been the last couple of years, they still had the third most talent in the conference. If you go by 24-7 Sports' talent rankings, which is based on the recruiting rankings. TCU consistently signed the number three class in the Big 12 behind Texas and Oklahoma. So Sonny Dex comes in and he realizes he's got a lot of players here. And uh, so TCU-Kansas, big game for both teams. So, big one. Mentioned this is one of the teams that has never hosted college game day and is having a pretty good season. Illinois, they also are in... Uh, the drought of having not been ranked in the AP top 25. I think now they own the longest drought among power five teams. I think that's also going to snap this season. This is a good team. The way they beat Wisconsin was like out Wisconsining Wisconsin. They have one of the best running backs in the country and one of the best defenses in the country. Shout out to Illinois. Happy hour. You guys are making us happy. It's fun to talk about programs like Illinois, like TCU, like Kansas. Yes, Illinois, by the way, in the top 25 in the Athletic 131, which are... Which is the real... Uh, to me, the, the, the only important the, rankings. The real, the real rankings. Out there. Um, second topic for happy hour, a, a team we haven't really talked about in a while, but Clemson is back, maybe? they well, beat Two weeks ago, they beat Wake Forest in overtime. Yep. And then, they, and then this past weekend, they beat NC State. That's your biggest competition for the ACC at this point. So they they look like they're the top team in the league, at least. They certainly control the Atlantic division, which was something we were so used to seeing. I mean, this was a a league that was questionably, well, maybe more wide open than it's been based on what Clemson was coming off of, replacing coordinators. um, DJ Uyangalele obviously had a very disappointing season last year. And yet they survived this two-week stretch against two of the teams that are expected to push them the most. Obviously, you know, you've got like Syracuse having a good season. You've got some other teams that could pop. Florida State's better than they've been. But 
this was the stretch and Clemson survived it and they won these games in different ways. Like we saw, you know, DJ and then the offense and what their ceiling could be against Wake Forest, the way that they had to win that game in a shootout. Then the NC State game goes, and this is the defense and the defensive front that we were more expecting to see. So, yeah, I think Clemson is back or back question mark because they control the ACC. So that's pretty normal for Clemson. How about this for DJ Wangalale? Last year, nine touchdown passes, 10 interceptions. This year, 11 touchdowns, one interception. He hasn't been amazing. We're not saying he's a Heisman candidate necessarily, but he has been very, very solid. Listen, I'm not Ari, but even that's math that I think Ari can do. <laughs> that's that's good. Those are good numbers. Clay 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 Klubnik is staying on the bench for now. Have something we, heard, we didn't expect. Yeah, have not heard the calls for Clay Cade Klubnik the last Cade, couple of weeks. Cade Klubnik. Yeah, very well, hard see, to say. I I have said that. <laughs> fine normally all along and you just got it in i messed head it now. up i know I and now up, now it's going to be one of those names for me so thank you very much okay another team for happy hour that we're excited about ucla so i mentioned this earlier i think i'm gonna have to eat some cottage cheese which i am dreading because i was riding with washington and their hot start and michael Penix jr and UCLA was really, really good on Friday night at home in the Rose Bowl, knocking off the Huskies. It feels like Chip Kelly has has maybe turned a corner. I, I think we wondered that at times last season. Um, but, you know, they're 5-0. and They had a really good season last year. And, you know, DTR is getting better. I mean, he's playing really well. You have Zach Charbonnet. You have Jake Bobo. Um I mean, this is a very formidable offense. And I think the defense did a really nice job with Washington, which had been one of the better offenses in the country with Michael Penix Jr. And and an offense that was exceeding our expectations and really carrying that team. And they really were able to shut it down and, and, you know, kind of control this game. And I I know there was a point late where, you know, Washington had a chance to, to make it interesting. But it really didn't feel that way. I mean, UCLA was the better team on Friday night. Yeah, I, I think we can say UCLA has turned a corner now. You know, I, I was very, very skeptical of Chip Kelly there for a while. You know, he had gone like 46-7 and seven at Oregon, then went, then went to a bunch of NFL gigs. And as he was coming back into college football, he passed on Florida to take UCLA, you know, in, in part because recruiting wouldn't have been as, you know, intense. And he'd have more time. And it turns out he needed that time because UCLA was 10 and 21 in his first three years, but they're 13 and 4 over the last two years. They went 8 and 4 last season, 5 and 0 this year. It's kind of a cupcake 5 and 0 to start the year. So the Washington game was going to be the one that told me, hey, is this team really moving in the right direction? And they are. That game, right, was not close until the fourth quarter. And suddenly UCLA looks like a team to definitely consider in the not Pac-12 South because they don't have divisions anymore. The the Pac-12 is quietly, and I say quietly because I think that lots of people like to write leagues off in week one, and everyone saw oh, Utah yes. lose at Florida in, in, in a really close game, and they saw Oregon get blown up by Georgia. But Pac-12 has some really, really interesting teams. It has some really fun teams, and it's it's honestly worth staying up for. Like there There's going to be some really good Pac-12 games down the stretch, including this weekend. I mean, UCLA is playing Utah. It's going to be a good game. 
Yeah, uh, Utah, by the way, demolished Oregon State mm-hmm. last week. A team, I think, we saw them lose to Florida and kind of forgot about them for a bit. USC became the thing everybody's talking about. Then Washington moved up, but Utah's right there. They've got UCLA this week, and I think USC the next week. So, got some major, major games here in the Pac-12. Yes, and this is one of the points that I said immediately after the Florida game was, do not write Utah off. People should not be penalized significantly for going and playing a game like that. And then, again, like they should have won, mm-hmm. but very, very close down the stretch. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking about that more if Utah continues to win. It will become a college football playoff talking point as we get closer to those first rankings. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is time for On the Rocks. This is the segment where we talk it out. There is always friction somewhere in this sport, and we are here to help work through it. Uh, There's a lot of rocky relationships in college football this week. Let's start in Madison. Chris, you mentioned that this was a job that you were genuinely shocked to open. There was no prep. I said this on, on the Big Ten Network earlier in the week. I mean, usually, obviously, we talk about hot seats, but there's people who's maybe it's like simmering a little bit or it's a warm seat. Uh, this really escalated quickly and it felt like a very un-Wisconsin move to make a move this early in the season. And I think too, like even coming off of the way they lost the Illinois game, coming off of the way that they lost to Ohio State, the loss to Wazoo, which were all bad in different ways, it just still, my expectation was, okay, well, things are getting uncomfortable with Paul Christ. So maybe at the end of the season. Instead, the athletic director, Chris McIntosh, makes a change now, which gives Jim Leonard seven games for an audition, which is actually, I think that's the one real significant benefit of making these moves super, super early. You said po- five power five coaching changes have already happened. For the places that have an interim candidate who's an actual candidate for the job, that's a pretty sizable chunk of the season that Jim Leonard is going to get now. Yeah, it, it's Jim Leonard's job to lose. And and look, this Wisconsin move, like, there's really no other way to, to describe it than saying it's an SEC type of move. To, to, to fire a coach who made the Rose Bowl in 2019, 
who is your third winningest coach of all time, who won nine games last year, and to pay a pretty good chunk of change to do that is a pretty, frankly, ruthless business decision. And that's not something we often see in the Big Ten, let alone Wisconsin, which hasn't fired a coach since the 88 or 89, I think 89. it was. 89. Uh, we, were, we were a couple months old. Yes. Well, de- it well was, depending on what, what month it was. I already checked. I was a couple of months old. Okay. <laughs> so this is a place that has had three decades of success and largely stayed in the family. And he's got a better win percentage, Paul Chris does at Wisconsin, than Jimbo Fisher does at Texas A&M. But he's 15-10 and 10 over the last two, uh, uh, two years, two-plus years. It hasn't been quite Wisconsin. They have not won the Big Ten West uh, in, in a few years. They're, they're not, they don't look like a team that can win the Big Ten this year. They could still win the West because it's a pretty weak division and the schedule's up in the air. But this is a move to be like, hey, we've got this defense coordinator, 39 years old, Jim Leonard, who turned down the Packers' defense coordinator job a couple years ago. We're going to give him a full shot, let us see what he can do, and then make a decision after that. I think there's two things. So that's absolutely one of them. I don't think Wisconsin makes this change when they did if you do not have a strong internal candidate that you actually want to see how this plays out. Um, so they, so he has something to play for. This, this program has something to play for. Obviously, also, we need to see them be better defensively. That's his side of the ball. They have mm-hmm. been uncharacteristically not great defensively. Uh, Illinois, that game was over early because they were able to just run the ball in Wisconsin. And again, things that they, Brett Bielema's team, which obviously coached at Wisconsin, they out Wisconsin, Wisconsin in that game uh, and won in Camp Randall for the first time in 20 years. So the defense needs to improve. Offense needs to improve. There's there's lots of little areas. I mean, Jim Leonard doesn't need to go perfect here. The other factor here is Nebraska's job is open. They made their move even earlier. Another SEC-type move. They cost themselves $7 million more than they had to if they just waited three more weeks. But also impatient. Also, like, these are not, this is not where we want Nebraska to be. If you're Wisconsin and you know that your candidate pool may overlap with Nebraska, who is in your division, in your conference, wants to build in a similar way that you build, I think this is smart because you're signaling, you're out there in the market saying, we're also in the market. So there's two different things. So again, yes, Jim Leonard, you have a candidate that you think could really get the job. But then also, if you are interested in what other candidates there are nationally, and and I'm told like Wisconsin is going to do a national search. This is not just everyone's waiting for Jim Leonard for the end of the season to hand him the keys. So it let, allows Wisconsin to be out there as Nebraska is out there. Because there's a certain Nebraska candidate who is from Wisconsin, and that is Lance Leipold, the coach of the Kansas Jayhawks who we just talked about. Look, I understand Kansas is in a weird spot where like they're having a great season, so you don't only want to talk about how they might lose their coach. And that's why we started, we talked about how great Kansas is doing, but we also have to talk about their coach, <laughs> who is doing a very good job and is going to have a lot of interest. Lance Leipold, by the way, almost got the Illinois job, which instead went to Brett Bielema, so it's Interesting how those things always work out. Yes, you're obviously going to start going through the process to see who's interested, go through the back channels, do all these kinds of things, and pretty much not say anything publicly. Wisconsin officials were pretty tight-lipped at that uh, press conference on Sunday, not even really describing what hasn't gone wrong for Paul Chris, but you know, based on things you and I have heard and other people have heard is 
obviously they were struggling 15 and 10 over the last 25 games, but also Paul Chris was not super into stuff like NIL and, and, and kind of, I don't know if standoffish is the right word, but just it wasn't embraced as much as previous coaches and other people in terms of the job. He's a ball coach. He just he 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 focuses on that. And that, by the way, was not going well. And when that doesn't go well, you don't have much to stand on. Right. I mean, you're winning nine, ten games a year. Everyone's fine with that. I mean, it, it's funny to think about, you know, recruiting and IL transfer portal, like all these things that these head coaches have to be. Uh, if not like super willing to be in, you have to acknowledge them and use them. And like this is Wisconsin, which basically Russell Wilson's transfer to Wisconsin is kind of like the start of the transfer quarterback trend and, and all that we've seen. Um, but, you know, again, embracing where things are in 2022, I think will be very important for, you know, Jim Leonard and and or whoever um, becomes the full-time head coach, because that's part of it. And I think, too, you know, I was talking to some people this week about, you know, what is Wisconsin going to commit to on the back end in terms of staffing? I mean, we've, we've all seen that yes. photo of Florida, right, of the amount of staffers that are not uh, players in that team photo. So it's beyond the position coaches, but it's it's literally everything else that ends up helping with recruiting, NIL, brands, marketing, digital video, like all of these things that are just part of being a major, major power five player in college football these days. So, uh, you know, they've got limitations on their their facilities and the resources and stuff. But there's like other questions, I think, too, about what Wisconsin is going to invest and be as they are figuring out where they're going next from a head coaching standpoint. Yeah, they, they have not invested like other teams in the Big Ten or even in their division when it comes to facilities, which are way behind. Their, their you know, facilities, re- did you know how like how landlocked they are? Yes. I didn't they, realize that. They, they, can't, they don't have a full-size practice field. They, yeah, and in the indoor field, you know, they, they, in, in, I think August, they revealed some plans. They presented some plans of like $300 million worth of investments in, in terms of a new indoor field that's going to be next to the stadium and some other things like that that the program desperately needs. They lost their recruiting director to Michigan State last offseason, and Wisconsin's recruiting has gone down the last couple of years. They were, I think, 44th last year. I think they're 56th now at the moment. And this was a program that was typically around 25 to 30. So that's fallen off as well. So you're going to have to invest in the facilities. You're going to have to invest in the staff. You're going to have to do a lot of things to modernize the program because just being the same old Wisconsin like they were for 30 years is, 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 is not working anymore. And they're going to have to modernize, and it appears they have an AD who understands that, and that's why you make a change right now like you do. Yeah, and uh, again, it's, it's still stunning. A couple of days later as we're recording this, still stunning to think about. Um, you know, you never say never of, of what's going to be stunning in a coaching carousel. There were a couple stunners back-to-back last year that we didn't necessarily see coming, uh, but this is the big one so far this year. There's a couple of other rocky relationships, uh, and I want to go quickly to one that will not be resolved because it's way too expensive to do anything, and that's Texas A&M. I mean, it is now like clockwork when they're playing and their offense is struggling to move the ball whatsoever. You can easily see people talking about Jimbo Fisher's salary and how much Texas A&M is spending to have a non-functional offense. You talked about Wisconsin needing to modernize certain things about their program. A lot of questions about the way that Jimbo Fisher runs the offense and the style of play that he wants to. Obviously, they're also dealing with injuries. But that is a really frustrating program, state of the program, 
right now and he has a fully guaranteed contract so there is nothing that texas a&m can do this is the straight one of the strangest situations in college football by the way jimbo fisher's record right now through 53 games i think it is is the exact same as kevin sumlin's was at this point and what did kevin sumlin do at this point he won the next five games so that's probably not going to happen for AM. So you're but you're about to see a bunch of tweets pretty soon of how Kevin Sumlin had a better record than Jimbo Fisher through X many games. Our colleague Andy uh, Andy Staples wrote a really good piece on Tuesday about that Texas AM situation and how Jimbo's has to figure it out, but he doesn't seem to be in an urgency to figure it out. And he compared it to Alabama, where Bryce Young goes down and, and Jalen Milrow comes in and immediately puts up big numbers in, in Alabama scores. Texas A&M can't even figure it out with one quarterback right now. So ugly stuff there. It is nice that Ari got to go down and learn how to do the yell leader stuff, which you'll see on this feed and various athletic platforms. That's, that's the highlight, I think, for Texas A&M so far this year. Yes, Ari. Yeah, Andy tweeted the video out, too. Go check that out. It's, it's very fun stuff. You, you'll get a lot more A&M talk on this feed uh, <laughs> as the week goes on. Okay, so Chris, let's go into the other job that turned over on Sunday, Colorado. So we already were talking about this earlier in the show about just how bad they have been, how they may actually go 0-12 this season. They're not just bad. They're getting blown out by everyone bad. Mike Sanford Jr., former head coach at Western Kentucky um, and offensive coordinator in a number of places, including Minnesota last year, which really did not have good offense last year. Um he is hired. He is now the interim head coach at Colorado for the rest of the season. But what's been more interesting, I think, around this opening is the almost like the difference. You, you talked about this. I don't even know the best way to put it. But the idea of what the Colorado job should be and the reality of how attractive it is to elite recruits. Like, I'm almost more interested in sort of where Colorado ranks among the open jobs what is a realistic type of candidate like what is a ceiling for this job like i almost i I almost feel like those are the bigger questions than necessarily like who they're going to get but it's like what is success for colorado it is a difficult job and it, it, it needs to be remembered that Sports writers who remember Colorado winning the national championship in 1990, who like a ski town and like the mountains of Colorado uh, and are white, have different views on what what they'd like to do more than a lot of high school, college football players, many from inner cities and stuff like that. It is hard to get players to Colorado. Their current team talent ranking in 24-7 sports is 11th in the Pac-12, second from the bottom. The facilities there are pretty good. They, they built a new building a couple years ago. Um, so they, they've got some stuff there. But overall investment in the program in terms of staffing, in terms of what they can pay for a coach, that is very much still a question. Remember, they had Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker initially turned down Michigan State to stay at Colorado. Famously, Michigan State famously talked tweeted, also about, yeah. yeah, tweeted about staying and also about how you can't just enter the transfer portal in real life. That was yes. all the Mel Tucker, Colorado era. That happened. And Michigan State came back and said, hey, not only will we double your salary, we'll double the assistant salary pool that you have. And he said, oh, okay, that looks a lot better now. <laughs> and now and now he's at Michigan State. Colorado hasn't been able to compete like that financially uh, for a while. 
And it, we're going on two decades now of this program doing almost nothing except for that one year with Mike McIntyre where they somehow won uh, whatever Pac-12 division they're in. This is, it, it, it's a difficult job. You don't know what the money is. And if you were to compare it to the other jobs, Nebraska is going to pay a crap ton more. Wisconsin's a, a good job that pays a lot more. Georgia Tech is in Atlanta. You can get kids there. There are difficulties with that job, but there is potential. In Arizona State, is a place where you can recruit to. It's closer to California, all these different things. This, is this I think, is the worst of the five Power 5 jobs that are open in terms of what is appealing, and that impacts what you can do in a search. So we already said Wisconsin was the big surprise so far. There are a couple jobs that I don't think people would be surprised if they open. How would you handicap the next job to open between Auburn and Louisville? Look, I woke up on Sunday expecting Auburn and Louisville to open. We ended up getting Wisconsin and Colorado instead. So those two are very much probably coming soon if things continue to not go well. To me, I thought Auburn blowing a 17-0 lead against LSU, having a wide receiver throw an interception in the red zone, and the way that game played out, that looked like, okay, that's the final game of the Brian Arson era. It just played out almost the way you could have imagined it. But he's, but he's still there. The rest of their schedule, incredibly tough. There are not a lot of wins left on that schedule. It's going to happen at some point. Louisville, they're 0-3 in the ACC after they just lost to Boston College. Thought that might be the situation there. He's still around. Eh, very small chance they turn it around, but but Louisville is, is one they're looking at. And then the other two, group of five are, are USF with Jeff Scott and probably Texas State with Jake Spavadol. Group of five schools don't typically fire early in the season because you don't gain anything from it. You don't need to sacrifice somebody to make the fans happy. You don't have any benefit by getting a head start. So those are hard to say when, but Auburn and Louisville are the ones that everybody's going to be keeping an eye on. Just a reminder, Boston College is not good this year. Not good. That was a really bad loss for, for Louisville. Um, okay, our last Rocky relationship. I know there's a lot. It's been an eventful week. This is about a two-week buildup. Now, we, we do our last call segment where we can pick something we want to rant about if we want. But this feels like something that we need to discuss broader. And it's something that I think every college football fan who has watched college football in the last two weeks has experienced. And that is the live cut-in of an Aaron Judge at bat. <laughs> so this week's final Rocky relationship is college football fans and Aaron Judge. And I find it hilarious how mad people have gotten over this. I totally get why it's disruptive. There have been, it it has happened during interesting moments in games. The more distracting part is that they take the sound off the college football game, put the sound on the baseball. Uh, I I grew up a Yankees fan, so I, I am admittedly coming into this with some bias. I have not followed baseball in recent years at all. I didn't hate it. I tend to have like four screens up anyway. I don't have sound on all of them anyway. It essentially just kind of created too many small screens. I just found it really funny how mad people were getting every time it was happening. And then all we've needed is just Aaron Judge to hit a home run. And then it will go away because the record will have been beaten. He'd be at 62. And he just kept striking out, kept getting walked. Maybe not intentionally walk, but definitely no one was trying to let him hit that ball. I mean, it was it was so funny that 
it's taken weeks now and he's in this hitting slump and cannot just hit this home run and put college football fans out of their misery. But man, has that gotten people riled up. This has played on longer than I I thought. And look, when this first started, you know, it happened during the the Clemson weight game. I thought it was not a big deal. It was like twice, I think. It was like the third quarter. It's like there's like one or two times. It's like one or two minutes. I'm like, look, chill out. People freaked out from the beginning. And and that was like, I just like, relax, people. It's it, it's not that big of a deal. It's a pretty cool thing. I don't care what you think about the record is. Somebody hitting sixty one, maybe sixty two home runs, is cool. It just is. And I'd like to see that without having to figure out where the heck I can watch it because I don't get the Yes Network. So I was fine with that. But it bled into the next Friday when Tulane and Houston were going to play, and that's when we saw the schools announce ahead of time. To, uh, Houston did this. It happened again on Saturday. Like, hey, by the way, ESPN's going to jump in with, with the Aaron Judge stuff. Don't get mad at us, uh, essentially. <laughs> That's what the schools were saying. And people freaked out about that. I said, again, this is overblown. It's fine. I, I actually went and saw a movie. I missed the beginning of Tulane Houston. I come back to watch the end of the game. And with like a minute left, Tulane is driving to try to tie the game and send it to overtime. And that's when we get an Aaron Judge cut in. And that's when I'm like, all right, this one I can understand people being upset about. This is a key point in the game, and it's a split screen. I understand it. It bled over again into Saturday, and not much of anything. It, it was it ES- was a lot, though. ESPN's uh, anchors and updates. Sean, Mc- yeah, Sean McDonough was not very, happy about it. They were very funny about it, which, again, is like, I'm, gl- I'm, I'm only glad that this happened and stretched so long because we got some great content out of it. Yeah, Sean McDonough, a current and former Red Sox broadcaster, actually, but but he he's told that the Yankees have a tarp on the field. The game's going to be delayed. Aaron Judge is <laughs> coming up to bat. It comes back and he goes basically says, "Oh, what a shame!" <laughs> it was so good. It's <laughs> very clear that some people are not happy about oh, this. It was. I, it, it, it was at great. this point, it's almost fun just just for for the content. But look, I tweeted this during Saturday. Aaron Judge, when there's a cut in, is not a good baseball player. This is, this is the other problem of this. I added it up between the first Saturday, Friday, and then this past Saturday. He went, uh, during the cut-ins, college football cut-ins, he went one for seven with five strikeouts and one run scored. There were five walks and a hit by pitch in there, so his on-base percentage is good. I get that. But if you were to only pay attention to baseball via Aaron Judge being forced onto your screen, you would think this guy is a bum. <laughs> and yet here he is about to possibly win the Triple Crown and hit 62 home runs. It would be very interesting to see the reaction had it been like after he did it, if they cut in to show you what had just happened versus like doing it live. Because I do think anyone who wanted to see it happen live had a screen up, had that game on for those at bats. Like I, 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 I disagree with that. Really? And, I, and, and, and this involves you and me, because you and I have told each other when Aaron Judge is up to bat. But that's what I'm saying. And, well, okay, so that was, I, that was you for, need, for 61, you, first of all. Yeah, but like you top. need someone to tell you. I like If I'm watching one game, I'm not watching the whole Yankee game to try to get Aaron Judge on my screen. Like, I got to know when he's coming up, and ESPN letting me know is helpful. Okay, all right. I think we disagree, because I think in that situation, I was also fatigued of trying to do that for multiple days. For 61, because he, uh, to your point, was not playing well, not hitting them. So I then would have just taken it right after 
if they had done it and they said, this just happened a minute ago and then immediately played it, I would have taken that. But hopefully all of this is in the rearview mirror. We'll see. There for the love of God, be. for the love of God, Aaron, please hit your 60 second home run. I, yes. And also like, I don't know what weird voodoo would need to happen for game times and delays and tarps and weather issues, whatever, for this to affect a college football game again. But please, hopefully it does not. That was my favorite and also a very rocky relationship. So we will wrap this all up with our last call segment. This is when we do cheers or jeers and we... I don't know. Really, the way that I describe this is anything that you might want to cheers to at two in the morning as the bar is closing, four in the morning as the bar is closing, whatever it might be. So you could celebrate something, could rant about something. I feel like we just had kind of a a therapy session there on the Aaron Judge cut-in. So I'm going to go with a cheers. Uh, I'm going to go with some optimism here. North Dakota State, which every college football fan knows, North Dakota State, FCS powerhouse, they put full, I'm sorry, North Dakota State put four fullbacks in on the same play and scored a touchdown to go up two scores on Youngstown State on Saturday. For anyone who loves fullbacks, which I think is most people, for anyone who's been a former fullback and who's been sad that the position has kind of been phased out of much of major college football, it was an incredible moment. It was made better by knowing and then going back in and counting all of the fullbacks. And North Dakota State blasted it out to everyone. They knew. They knew. We already love this program from afar. We love what this the, the model of success and consistency that they are. And then they put four fullbacks in the game on single play. Obviously, a fullback scored the touchdown. Just, it was beautiful. Cheers to North Dakota State. Cheers to the fullbacks. And for, for those who didn't see it, this isn't like some like mega eye formation with like five players in the backfield. They, they had some fullbacks lined up at, at tight end and some various things. That's what I'm so, saying. Yeah. It was helpful yes. to know after the fact that they were all yes. fullbacks because um, I think it makes you appreciate it more. It wasn't, wasn't super obvious when you just watch a clip. So it's, it's like, you know, it just took an extra level of commitment and understanding to appreciate what happened in that moment. Yes, and I'm going to give my cheers for the interim head coaches. Uh, Georgia Tech beat Pitt, and Nebraska beat Indiana. Mickey Joseph at Nebraska, Brent Key at Georgia Tech get wins as interim head coaches. Brent Key, former player at Georgia Tech, uh, really loves that place. It was a nice video Georgia Tech put out, I think, on Sunday, just by him talking to the team afterward. And this kind of goes back to what we're talking about with all the coaching firings. But on a personal level, I hate when coaches are fired during the season because there's most of the time no real point to it. It's more of a gesture to kind of let fans and boosters know what what you're thinking about things. That is, I wrote about this last year, but that is like the administration essentially punting on the season and punting on those players to saying, we're going to look forward to the next thing. And that leaves everybody in a bad spot. You're a coach, you're an assistant coach, you're, you're, you know you're going to be out of a job in a few weeks and you're trying to figure out what to do with your family and everything like that. It's a very, very tough situation for everybody involved when a head coach gets fired during the season. So anytime coach, uh, teams led by an interim head coach get a win, uh, I'm always very, very happy for that. So cheers to Georgia Tech, Nebraska, and perhaps moving forward, Wisconsin and, and Colorado. For the record, that was not Red Barking. That was one of your, what, 13 dogs? How many dogs are in the house at the moment, Chris? There are, you know, Gabby took one to work. There are eight in the house right now. Okay. And there's one that just has a problem. Well, that's a, that's a lot of dogs. Dog. I feel like the odds of one of them barking during a podcast would be 
fairly high. Yeah, we almost got through the whole thing without an issue. That would have been We awesome. did. They just wanted to celebrate for the last call for the cheers. Um, on that note, we will wrap things up. That'll do it for this week's Power Hour. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thanks for listening. We will see you next Wednesday. Thank you.